Hey everyone, it's Sandra, and you're listening to the Talk Carby to Me podcast. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> I wish I wish I had a little drink ski. Let's make this podcast very interesting. We should have the episode where we get hammered. You know, that would be like really, really entertaining, I think. Like, I think I'm an entertaining drunk. Yeah, it's gonna take it's gonna take quite the investment to get me hammered, but we'll uh we'll make it happen. I mean just get like a bottle of like whatever whatever you're drinking right now. <laughs> a, little, a little maker's bottle? Little, yeah. Just go old fashions. I mean we're gonna go like seven deep if we're trying to get hammered. I feel like you have to like start first, like have a few before you get on the podcast, and then you know, have like a little like a small buzz going, and then you know. We just really go yeah. ham. Yeah, I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't want to start at noon, but this was definitely the kind of day that I <laughs> that I probably could have started at about eleven a.m. What happened today? I don't know. Couldn't tell you. It's freezing this morning. A lot of ice in my car. Ice, really? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I was up at five thirty to to get to a client, but. Hmm. Yeah, I don't do well with cold days and months where it shouldn't really be that cold. It's the first day of spring and a little frost on my windshield did not make Anthony happy. <laughs> you know what made Sandra happy last week when it snowed? Yeah, that it snowed was for, great. Snowed for like 10 seconds. I know, but I saw it and that's all I needed. Like now I can write winter off. I'm ready for the summer. I'm okay with it now. We're just going to skip spring. Yeah, you know, spring's all right. I don't know. Like, yeah, the bloom. Okay, no, and spring in North Carolina is quite lovely with the flowers and all of that. I will say that is quite lovely. I don't know. Spring's all right. Summer's okay. Fall and winter is where it's at. Now you're in the wrong state then. Look, I this is better than Florida. <laughs> Debatable. Uh, Northeast fall is championship fall. Mm. That is undefeated fall. There's foliage. It's cold. It's chilly, but it's not cold. It's not humid. Mm. It's just a. It's just a vibe. Interesting. Yeah, I found North Carolina already to be a vibe. I don't know. I feel like Germany didn't really have much of a vibe when it came to fall. Like there was fall, right? But it's like you either have a really beautiful fall or it's gonna be a really really rainy fall. And yes. Yeah. yeah. No, no, vibe, no vibes, just fascism. <laughs> no. Well, let me tell you, Florida does not. Florida does not have a good fall vibe at all. There is no fall. No, it's it's like August every day and of the year in Florida. I mean, there have been like some December's where, like, I remember walking like for my finals week in December, and it's like, and I'm sweating, sweating buckets just getting to class because it's fucking hot out. Yeah. So it's just like summer and less summer. Summer and less summer. <laughs> summer 1A, summer 1B. Yeah, basically. But the sun does change. Like, I don't know, it sounds like super weird, but like the sun does come in at a different angle and that's how you know it's winter. Wait, well, yeah, you have like the solstice and stuff. So Yeah. But if you're like, if you're used to seasons, you don't, you don't notice that it takes a couple years to like wear off the seasons to notice the changes in Florida seasons. Yeah. 
but so anywho fresh off my weekend like last two days back to real life after my 48 hour ncaa march madness binge yeah i mean it all just sounds crazy to watch so much basketball yeah i don't even like watching basketball because of the, like the <laughs> we've talked about this like the pace of play like other than playoffs like I, i'm not really into it because there's too many fouls it's all ticky tack but for my oh this weekend i was getting after it i was locked in like you couldn't tell me shit Damn. Did, were you like depressing after the season? Like after like after you watched your last game and whatever Monday rolled around or whenever well, it ended? No, I was relieved actually. So you have the round of 64, 64, 68 teams. They go to 64, then they go to 32 over the course of four days. Or excuse me. They go from 64 to 32, then they go from 32 to 16. Then they take a three-day break. I was relieved because I was exhausted, like emotionally, spiritually. <laughs> Like just just being locked in on sports for that long. Yeah, I feel like I would, I would like be depressed. I'd be like, well, now what am I going to do with my life? What am I going to watch? I get until Thursday and then you watch it again. Uh, I could actually just like go back to not watching TV, which is my usual. Mm. Do you generally not watch TV? I don't like to watch TV. Uh, I, I might accidentally turn on the news, mm. um, the newsertainment, as it's actually referred to. Um, yeah. But sports is really the only thing I watch, or I'll watch like ESPN just to get like sports updates or something about something. You know, I didn't, I wasn't paying attention uh, due to my vices. I always really know what's going on with sports, so I usually don't really have a need to watch. So you, you can like not watch sports TV and- shows or movies. Well, I guess you watch a lot of movies because you know all about movies. Yeah, I love watching movies. I love watching TV shows. I just do not like the commercials. Oh yeah, no. So, I, I, so there's nothing that I'll watch. There, there's nothing that I'll watch that's live. Like, you couldn't, you couldn't pay me to watch any show that's running live on a cable network right now. I honestly, okay. So when I clear, when I watch TV, I don't watch any of those. I don't watch like cable. Like I watch like Netflix, Hulu, HBO, stuff like that. Yeah, but like, that's that stuff yeah. I watch. Usually, I watch. Uh, Usually I watch it mostly when I'm eating or if I've if I'm just exhausted. Mm. I like to have TV going on in the background. You know how like some people have music in the background. I have like like your 90s sitcoms in the background. Yeah. Like shows I've watched a million times. It's just like background noise. It's like white noise. Sometimes. I mean, sometimes I have stuff on, but mm. I, I don't know. I hate the commercials really drive me nuts. Yeah, I, it's hard. Like once you get used to not watching commercials, it's really hard to do commercials. Oh yeah, you can't go back. No, you can't go back. That's what I we were talking. That's what we were talking about. Like uh, streaming platforms that dominated the TV market pretty much have eliminated the need for cable networking. Then just start ep- to being episodic instead of just binge letting me binge watch my content. Like, well, yeah, I mean, like, okay, so we have like the premium YouTube, whatever. So the YouTube without the commercials, whatever that's called. Whenever I go to go to someone's house and they don't have that, I'm like, shit. There's so many commercials on YouTube. Like, how do you do this? Like, you Google what? Like, you YouTube one thing and it's like three commercials. Like, how do you live? Yeah, and I also like when I watch a sporting event, I can't stand the commercials. And it's not the fact that the commercials exist because I can enjoy an entertaining commercial. It's like the same four commercials. It's some kind of medicine that gives you nausea, heartburn, diarrhea, suicidal <laughs> thoughts, like liver disease, the risk of stroke, stuff like that. Every single medicine has that side effect. And it 
it's like, are you just naming things at this point? But um, it's that, and then it's the cell phone commercials. Mm. And and here's here's my soapbox about cell phone companies. Everyone everyone in America has a cell phone at this point. They they make loads of money, and they're still dead spots. What the fuck do you do with all that money? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are there dead spots? That is a if, good question. <laughs> in, if like this, we've needed cell towers since I don't know when was the cell phone invented. I'm gonna say it was before 2000. Safe bet. Oh, well before. Remember, remember the cell phone briefcase? Yeah. So we've been working on this technology for 23 years. Yeah. And you're telling me that I have a dead spot in the United States of fucking America. Unreal. Yeah. Even in, even here in Raleigh, like there are dead spots. Like I'll drive around and my GPS all of a sudden is like so confused. And that doesn't help me because now I'm confused too. And we're just fucking driving in circles until we hit like signal again. Yeah, and where, where I work in Wake Forest, is it's a huge dead spot. The whole town of Wake Forest is a goddamn dead spot. Really? And yeah, it's like, it's one of those things where like, how is this possible? And, and like, you look at like the things that happen in the world, the companies that go that go under the layoffs that happen at every single company. You look at the introduction of artificial intelligence into society and you wonder why they're like, they're laying off people because like you've had people doing this. Like, it's so inefficient. Like, why the why the hell? Are there dead spots anywhere? Yeah. When we were looking for a house, like even just making sure we get like good quality internet, like high speed internet was a thing. Like not everywhere can you just get high speed internet. Did you know that? Here I'm in Raleigh. Aware. I'm aware. Like I was like, what kind of. <laughs> you you forget. You forget. I live, on, I live on falls and they've been installing fiber cables and it causes so much traffic. Oh, is that why there's so much traffic? Mm-hmm. Every single week when I drive up there, I'm like, what are they doing constantly? Lately, anyway, it's been fiber. Sometimes it's other reasons, but mm. usually it's installing fiber cables. But yeah, companies, what the hell are you doing? All you're doing is opening up the door for a company with massive bankroll, i.e. Apple, Google, to just take mm-hmm. over and launch their own service. Like, If you don't think Apple is going to make their own cell towers shortly, you got another thing coming. Also, furthermore, last couple episodes... We've talked about diabetes, diabetic medication. So one of the things that obviously diabetics need to do is they need to monitor their glucose level. The Apple Watch, the next version of it, will now have glucose monitoring. Stop, really? Yeah, they announced it. Oh, that is so cool. Okay, because mine's dying soon, (laughs) which is a very big frustration of mine. My Apple Watch can no longer hold a charge longer than it can't hold it for 24 hours anymore. That's that is worth buying a new one for. That right yeah, it's there. it's awesome, and I I've I've looked at possibly getting a continuous glucose monitor, mm. just because I'm super curious about the data. Although I don't really want to have something like stuck in my arm. So, depending on how well it works and um, what it brings to the table, and depending if I need a prick or not, I'm super interested with that. So I might bust out the Apple Watch again. Yeah, I mean that is definitely a cool feature. I did not hear about that yet. But yeah, a glucometer is pretty fun too. Like, yeah. I have one of those finger prick things. And I don't know why every single time I would prick myself, it takes me like a few deep breaths to do it. Which is like so, it's so stupid. It's just like a little needle prick. Like it's not a big deal. But anyway, it is super interesting the things that you learn about your body. Yeah. I highly recommend. Yep. But anyway, what else is new in your world, Anthony? What's new in my world? Not much is new in my world. I was kind of in exile 
over the weekend, <laughs> Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I was just locked in. I didn't talk to anyone. If, if you didn't, if you didn't have any insight on any of the games, I wasn't talking to you. You, you, you can ask anyone uh, with the exception of my mom and one of my friends who had insight. We weren't talking, we weren't having very many conversations. So yeah, I don't understand the whole March Madness thing. Like, I know you explained it to me. Like, I get it from the concept of it, but I'm not that into, I don't know, college sports, I guess. Yeah, it's the World Cup, just the college basketball version. Yeah, I mean, that's cool. Maybe one day I'll make time for it. That's, I mean, you don't, you don't have to bullshit us on here. That's probably not going to happen. Not anytime soon, unless my son happens to get into it, in which case maybe I'll get into it. But it was a Formula One weekend, so we were preoccupied otherwise. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, speaking of basketball, <laughs> with a topic that we covered previously, there was a school in Vermont that refused to play a basketball game with a against a team that had a transgender athlete on it. Oh, and as a result, the Vermont Gaming Commission, or that's not what it's called, but the Vermont. <laughs> uh, principal association, whatever governing body controls their schools and sports and athletics, uh, ban them from not just their basketball team, their entire school, every single team at their school from competing in any tournament to uh, going forward. Okay. So was it a female basketball squad or was it a male? Female. And there was a male basketball player in the opposing team. Well, I'll get transgender, like former male, now female. Transgender woman. Yes. Hmm. I see. I wonder how much of a competitive edge that would give it. Cause it's like a team sport, you know, it's not like a one-on-one, like it would be interesting to see like how much, like how good is she? Like, is that a, very much a competitive edge or not? I would say in that sport, it's way more of a competitive edge than it is in a lot of sports. So uh, personally, I, th- I don't think soccer, there's that big, I-, I think the women's national team can give the men's national team a competitive game, not saying that they could win, but I think they could be competitive. Now that would be interesting to see. Yeah. I would actually love to see that. Well, they fought so hard for equal pay. I actually believe that they should have settled that in a game. <laughs> because- okay. That is super cool idea. <laughs> Think, think about it. How about this? You beat the men's national team. You guys flip flip salaries for a couple of years and then we'll run it back, you know, in between the cups and the Olympics and stuff like that. And I think that would have been an awesome way. And I do think that the women would be competitive against the men. Yeah, that would be interesting. I think their height difference might affect it at some points of the game, though. Like in basketball, the height is like obviously important. Yeah. But in soccer, it's not that as important, but still important. I don't know. That would be interesting to find. That would be interesting. I'd, I would pay to see that game. Yeah. But when you're looking at sports, I would say, obviously, in basketball, if you watch a women's a WNBA game versus an NBA game, there's a monumental difference. I mean, that's going to trickle down all the way to uh, uh, high school athletics, obviously, even middle school athletics. Um, you can start to see it. So they, they there are some technical elements, but there's also some like physicality more so that happens in basketball than it happens in soccer. Yeah. I think that'd be interesting to see it like in soccer. I think in tennis, I mean, I'm not a huge tennis expert. Like I understand tennis and I help actually a bunch of tennis athletes nutritionally, but I would, that would be interesting to see like male versus female, I think too. Yeah. 
I'm trying to think about other sports. Women don't really play football. You got those uh, arena bikini leagues. Yeah, great. <laughs> some, of, some of those girls lay people out. Like, Really? Like, I've never seen it. I've never watched a game. I'll, I'll catch like a random highlight from one of the Instagram pages I follow if someone gets lit up. but They're really in bikinis? Yeah, they wear bikinis and shoulder pads and helmets, and they play arena football. Oh my god, we've made we've made so many advances as <laughs> as women made so many advances in life, and we're still playing football in bikinis. <laughs> so I I can watch of an arena football team of women in a bikini playing football, but I can't have fucking cell service in major cities. <laughs> America, get it together. <laughs> And quite frankly, if I'm going to be honest here, the bikini football league is un, is the most unappealing thing of all time. There's I have no interest at really? all. Yeah. Why like, is that? What's well? What's the draw? I don't know. Are they like not cute girls. Uh, I mean, I haven't looked too much into it from some of the clips I've seen. I mean, they've they've got attractive girls. Like, you, they. I would again, don't quote me on it. I would. It would appear as if they have what you would have like the college athlete that reaches like the end of sports whether there's not really like a pro direction to go or maybe like you just didn't make the pro direction and that's another option but it's just not like if i'm gonna watch football i want it to be competitive like i want not that they're not competitive but like the compet the competition is the draw not the bikini and i think the bikini takes away from the competitive nature because realistically i can just drive to the beach if i want to see someone in a bikini or I could use the internet and so on and so forth. So that, that kind of league doesn't really like that doesn't, that doesn't do it for me. I'm sure, you know, for some guys out there, I'm sure a lot of guys out there that, you know, that's they're fired up that they're ready to go, but yeah, that got nothing for that. That's pretty interesting. You know, what's also interesting when it comes to sports and women that technically in um, at least in formula one, women could technically compete against men in formula one. They just don't make it up their ranks. There's like not enough of them with that within race driving. Don't quote me on all of this because I could be wrong, but I'm fairly certain that this is true. I believe <laughs> it women, is. Yeah. So I remember one was like competing in like Formula Two or Three, but I don't know what happened to her then. You had it in NASCAR too. Oh, interesting. Danica Patrick. She was uh she was married to Aaron Rodgers for a while. Yeah, I don't get that into NASCAR. There's like a lot happening. I need like 10 teams, 20 cars. I can, that's easy. Similar, sort of similar breakdowns. The only, the only thing for me, I, I can see Formula One being more interesting because the crashes are more significant. Mm. Also, the track is, there's variability in the track. Whereas a lot of the NASCAR tracks, I mean, you're going in an oval. Yeah. I mean, there's like this new show on Peacock that highlight. It's like basically the drive drive to survive Formula One show on Netflix, but for NASCAR on Peacock, and it's okay. You know, there's just it just seems like there's so many different drivers. Like you have to like if you want to, you know, latch onto one team or one driver. Like there's just so many of them. It's kind of hard to keep up. Yeah, Frankie Muniz is uh is a NASCAR driver. Is he really? Yeah, <laughs> which is hilarious. I think he, I, I want to say he's newer. Again, I don't follow NASCAR that well, but. I saw him tweet about it, and he—he he, I forget which come which uh, which team he races for, but that's pretty funny. Like the NASCAR events, don't get me wrong, live are awesome. Stock oh, car live? racing, mm -hmm. stock stock car racing in general, live is one of the most amazing experiences of all time. There's food trucks, the people are having fun, everyone's having a good time. 
it's awesome to see live on TV. I I can't, but like if we were to be like, hey, let's go to Charlotte Motor Speedway, like which is like a couple hours away, and like have a good time, like I'm down. But you know, that's a good point. I probably want to watch NASCAR live, but Formula One always on TV. Yeah, but. Um, you know what I find interesting, and then we can switch gears here if you want to. But like on on the NASCAR tracks, like when they're switching tires and all of that, like how long that takes. I'm always like thinking, like, have you learned nothing from Formula One? You watch these people switch out tires within four seconds, and you're like diddle daddling around for like a minute. I find that so interesting. I mean, it's a little quicker than a minute, but a NASCAR. Uh huh. According to the Peacock Show, maybe it's like a minute, but it's like they're there for a long time, you know, and they're filling up the car with gas and the guy has time to drink some water. Like, what are we doing? Like, don't you have a race to attend? Hey, Ricky, Bo- Ricky Bobby flow. <laughs> Again, I'm, I realize I'm naive about NASCAR racing, but that's just from my observations as a Formula One fan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I'm not huge on NASCAR, but growing up, a friend of my dad's was a stock car driver, so we spent a lot of time uh, hanging out with him in his garage and going to a stock car races. So I had a little bit of exposure to that as a, at a young age, which I, I, th- I thought it was fun. It obviously didn't stick, but uh, I definitely have appreciation for that for that live. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I'm in my older years now. I'm getting more into racing. <laughs> in your older years. In my older years. <laughs> I'm no longer spring chicken, you see. Do you think there's something to the fact that we define age in the sense of like what's old? Maybe. I'm sure. I'm sure it has like a psychological effect to it. I mean, look, I'm like half kidding, right? Like I realize that I'm not that I'm not old, right? I understand that. But I do like like in comparison like to what I used to see myself like. Um, you know, in college, I used to think of someone that's 32 years old, right? Like when I started thinking like that, I mean, it's, you know, like you're an adult, you are for sure an adult in your thirties. Yeah. I think the whole age thing is bullshit. Like we, like there, there, there may be one to two things, maybe the fertility window in women, which hasn't really, you know, kept that's up. minor. <laughs> hasn't really kept up uh, with our progression in, uh, aging, I guess, uh, as you would see. And what I mean by that is as the life expectancy increases, that hasn't necessarily seemed to. But again, I'm not a biologist, so I'm not a fertility specialist, so don't ask me, but it, it would see, it would appear so. You got, you yeah, got but, people, huh? Sorry, I'll cut you off. No, go for it. Yeah, but, I was going to say, just based on like modern medicine, like we can now have kids later on in life. So yeah, it's like biologically we can't keep up, but thanks to modern medicine, like we're kind of making it happen better. Yeah. But I, th- I think there's something to it where as like, and this will segue into something. We, everyone is like, Oh, I'm 30. I'm now old and my knees crack and my back hurts. And you see those memes and it's kind of funny. And it's like, is this really true? Or did we just create this narrative? So obviously you're a little bit more springy when you're 16, 17, 18, because you're not quite like set in the patterns of your chosen life. And what I mean by that is when you're 16, 17, 18, you're moving around a lot. Like, and then you go to college, you're still moving around a lot. You're drinking a lot of partying and stuff like that. You're probably not taking care of yourself too well. Then you go into adulthood, you get your job and you're sitting at a desk nine to five. And now you're stuck in, you know, that posture Mm -hmm. of someone who sits all the time. And now you've become 
that's the pattern that's dictated like your reality now. And it's like, is it so much that, or is it so much that like, Oh my God, like we're just telling yourself are old now because you see it all the time. People in their thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, hitting these like monumental athletic achievements, these incredible health markers. I personally saw a commercial the other day with JLo running on the beach. Oh, JLo. She's fantastic. And it's like for some people and they seem to be like, eh, I'm not old. And other people are like, oh, my God, I'm old. And they're like 24 and they're like, they, they really like 85. And so it's an interesting, it's an yeah, interesting I, thought. I think it's like really much depends on how much are you taking care of your body? Like, are you exercising? I really think exercise is the fountain of fountain of youth. Um, are you exercising? Are you eating right? You know, are you you know, your mindset, what is it? I think that all influences it. Because if you think you're old and you do nothing about it, right, you just continue to be sedentary, then yeah, you're just going to continue to waste away. Mm. I mean, look at all those people you were in high school with or like in college with, right? Compare yourself to them now. Like how different do they look and act and move around than in comparison to you who works out every day? Yeah, I have... It's actually kind of funny. My group of friends ages very, very, very well. But quite often when we visit home and we run into folks we went to, you know, middle school, high school with, or friends back in the day from the early 20s, we, everyone looks a lot different now. <laughs> and it's like, oh, they're like, oh my, and they're like, oh my God, you look the same. And like, so I look this exactly the same as I did when I was like, you know, 22, 23. The difference is now I care less. So, Sometimes I look very, I look very, very homeless. <laughs> but I, as I, as I've, as I've matured, not gotten old, I've, I've gotten more of a, an appreciation for being comfortable in terms of what I'll wear. Like if I, if we're going with like back in the day, we're going, oh, I got to look nice. I got to go do this, that, and the third, get dressed up. Like nowadays, I don't care. Like you'll find me. Like I'll go to the bar and sweatpants in a in a plain black t shirt, and I won't comb my hair, and I'll just give it a little little flare thing, <laughs> and we'll just make it like that's I because I'd rather be comfortable. Like what am like? Yeah, I will say I've also shifted in the sense of like like I still want to look cute, right? Like when I go out and stuff, but like I will now dress more like weather appropriate. <laughs> Like if it's cold, I'm going to dress accordingly. I'm not going to like freeze my ass off anymore for anyone. Facts. Yeah. You <laughs> see, going out, like going out clubbing, going out drinking and stuff like that. You see it all the time. Like girls pulling off a phenomenal dress might even refer to it as a freakum dress. And it's like it's 18 degrees I'm from the Northeast. So it's like 18 degrees, a wind chill. It's like four degrees. And it's like, you poor thing. Like you, and like, there's no Kojak and like, you're just, you're going to die before the end of the night. Yeah. And you know, what's funny, like these women, they'll stand outside and like, they will be like, like they, you won't even know that they're being, that they're cold. You know what I mean? Like they'll just walk around like life is normal and I'm freezing my ass off. And I got a few extra layers on this girl. The pain tolerance of, of the female population as a whole is something to be commended. Especially if it's cold outside and you want to wear a skimpy outfit. <laughs> yep. I have a pretty even keeled mood. I'm very monotone, very stoic. You want to disrupt my mood? Have me, have, make me cold. And <laughs> like, yeah. grant, granted, I'll go running when it's chilly. I'll go running when it's cold. I'll go running in snow. I'll go running in freezing rain. If I'm, if I'm just cold and like, I don't have to be cold, I'm very upset. 
it'll yeah. alter it'll alter everything more so than like if I'm driving and I get T-boned, it's really not going to change my mood, honestly. Like if my car gets totaled, it's not going to bug me. It's happened plenty of times. Like if <laughs> if some Anthony on the road. <laughs> my car's been totaled twice. One was my fault, one was not. So, 50/50 mm. chance. Um, but like if someone stole my identity, like I I I'd thank them honestly at this point, but um <laughs> Yeah, like, but if you make me cold, yeah. So I, I, I agree with you. I've seen that where women are just like they're just taking it on the chin, and they're like, "This is nothing to me. I, I will birth a child. I will birth an army of men." <laughs> and so, I will wear the short dress. <laughs> yeah. So I, I got a question from someone, and the, uh-huh. that's kind of, kind of where I was going with like the age thing. When you look at like health, wellness, fitness, you can even extrapolate. Like, I guess we can go life, although we're, although we don't really identify as life coaches how much of it is mental versus how much of it is physical would you say in your opinion like how like how much of, would you say that ratio is and why okay i'm probably gonna use an 80 20 rule on this one like 80 percent of like i think your age is very much connected to your actual body like what are you physically right like you know what are things is that what you're talking about we're not talking about age oh sorry we're just, we're just talking about like i'm a person I've set out on a health and fitness journey or a wellness journey. Uh, we, we love the word wellness. We love the word intention. We love the word uh, fucking what's the other buzzword that everyone throws around now. Um, I want to say detox, but that's not right. That, but that is one. But no, it's a you manifest like, oh, right. mm-hmm. like manifest. Right. So uh, in, right. Like how much of that journey is it? Okay. So basically what you're trying to say is like how much of the health and wellness journey is like, is, is it mental versus act the actual habits you're executing? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Or is it physical? Cause Mm -hmm. habits are mental. So like how much, and when you look at your health and wellness journey, how much of it, like how much of it is physical, how much of it is mental as far as like what it takes to get to where you want to go? Hmm. Hmm. Okay. That's a good question. Honestly, it's probably 50-50. Cuz like because we're basically kind of fighting placebo here a little bit, right? I like guess the placebo effect of like like if you think you're healthy, then all of a sudden, you know, you have like some positive effects from just thinking that you are. Um I'd probably say it's uh, May 50-50 is being generous. Your men- your mental your attitude about it is is very, very crucial. I'd say it's m- almost more important than the actual physicalness about it. Like, like you're striving for physical change, right? But um, if mentally, you know, you can't handle the physical changes, right? Then like, you know, you're just going to feel anyway. Um, so I think like your mindset around the whole thing is far more important because the mindset will eventually lead to the physical aspect of things. Yeah. Right. Is that kind of like what you were saying? Did I answer well, that correctly? Well, that, well, there's no wrong answer. The The question is when it comes to your fitness journey, wellness journey, when it building your healthy lifestyle, how much of it is mental, how much of it is physical? Yeah. I mean, okay. So I think a good counter example would be like someone that's being forced to change their habits for the better, but they are just so not into it. So they kind of become like miserable people. I've seen those people. Ugh, I got to now eat, you know, for my diabetes and that's so annoying and my hypertension and they kind of get into this thing. And so now, yeah, they're eating better, but they're miserable. 
And so that's not that like, so they're not really, really positive people to be around. So yeah, I think your mindset is everything. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say for most people, it's probably about 90% mindset, 10% physical. Yeah, there are, there are some things physically that you will just not be able to do anymore. Mm. Doesn't matter if you're 18, doesn't matter if you're 30, doesn't matter if you're 40, 50, there, there are some things you're just not going to be able to do ever, yeah. ever. Huh? You probably won't be able, able to do a back handspring anymore when you're 80 years old. It's probably, that shit probably has sailed. Yeah. And someone's, so there's probably, you know, someone out there that can do it. But for the most <laughs> part, like for 99.9% .9 of us, your things are going to, doesn't matter where you are, you'll have some physical limitation in some degree. There's something that you're not going to be able to do. For some of us, it's, I, you know, my, I, my joint, I'm injured. I have an old injury. I'm re rehabbing something or I had something that I like chronic throughout my entire life. Some people just could never seem to jump. Some people are chronically tight. Some people are highly or hypermobile and things of that nature. The, for the majority of it, it's, mm -hmm. it's a lot, a lot of it's mental. Yeah, totally. That's why I think like, like, you know, medical history is super important too, because, you know, whatever disease you've have dealt with in the past or anything you've overcome like physically in the past, um, you know, that has consequences long-term. Yeah. And the thing that, that when you look at like data and diets and stuff like that, like most people like relapse after their diet. So they go on a diet, yeah. say you're out of shape, you're on a diet, you're going to go lock it in for a couple of years and you know, you do good, you hit your goals and then you let it go at some point and you go right back to where you were. Mm. I, I think that's a big indicator of like, it's a mental thing. When you look at like society right now and what we look at in the wellness space you have a ton of bullshit and some of the and a lot of in that realm of bullshit i'm gonna put affirmations in that in that realm of bullshit <laughs> we've convinced ourselves that if we stand in the mirror every day and say i'm pretty i'm beautiful i'm special i matter like we'll eventually believe those things the problem with it is you never hear them say like you wake up and you're like, I'm, I'm a healthier version of myself. I am an improved version of myself. And if you never be, if you are out of shape, you're someone who has terrible habits. You're someone who doesn't take care of themselves. You don't have the fitness habit. You don't have the exercise habit. You don't have the activity habit. You don't have the nutrition habits. You keep like, but yet you're manifesting the fact that you're special. Um, like, you have to become a different person. Like you can't let that slot, you can't let that go away. So like you're this person that does these things now and the hope, like what has to happen is like, you have to become this new person and your old self, like a part of you has to die. If I'm going to take you from obese to in shape, I have to kill parts of you literally and figuratively. There are mm -hmm. parts of, there are parts of you that just cannot come on the journey. So when you say that it's 90% mental, but you don't like affirmations, how does that like, 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 like what kind of things, like what kind of things you have to do mindset wise then to help you on the journey? So you have to like validate, like you have to validate what's coming your way. So if I'm, if I look in the mirror every day and I say, I am fucking strong, I'm, I'm strong. I am proud. I'm unique, special, yada, yada, yada. 
I have to have shit to back that up. If that's all I'm come bringing to the table, I might feel good for like, I might feel good for three days. I might wait, walk into the mirror and be like, I'm a fucking beast. Like, let's go. But I haven't done any, like if you just create this, this life and you have all these receipts, like I said, I look in the mirror every day and I say, I'm strong. I have receipts to validate that I'm strong because I lifted X. I'm strong because mm-hmm. I lifted Y. And then I've made it heavier. And then I started at this point and I did that. And that's, I think, where people, where a lot of, a lot of people struggle with making the switch from I'm person, I'm this version of myself. And now I'm a new person. People don't make the switch to the new person. They're still the old person doing habits that they don't like because they haven't mentally switched from the out of shape person to the in shape person. Because if they did, now they wouldn't do such things. Like if I took a gasoline car and I switched the engine out, take up the same car and switch the engine out. And now it's an electric car, right? So it doesn't need gasoline anymore, but I'm still like, I kind of want to put gasoline in it. And you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like the switch hasn't happened to like being that new person, which I think people miss out on, which makes it like a lot of it is mental and certain and certain aspects. Like when you go on a long run, that's all mental. Like you're not going to die. Your, your mind will fail you way before your body ever does. Mm. If you don't believe me, go get exhausted, do something that's terribly exhausting and then go for, go do, go work out again, go out, go for out, out for another run. You'll be fine. It might suck the day after, but yeah, you're, you're going to be all right. So people like they, they make all these statements and these claims and it kind of gives you, what's the word for it? It kind of, it's like, it's like a dopamine response. Like, oh, I just started a new diet and you're talking about it, but you're really not doing shit and you're not stacking those receipts. Whereas if you're stacking the receipts, sure, I'm on a new diet and here's the proof. And it's like, oh yeah, I am a fit person because I was able to do X, Y, Z. This I'm not that person anymore. Yeah. So basically if you, if you told yourself the affirmations and you backed it up with certain habits, then, then you're then you're on the right track by just affirmations on by themselves not without so much, any habits or follow-up. Well, not so much habits. You need proof. So if I have the affirmation that I'm strong, I tell myself I'm strong every single day. Like I need, like, I got to go prove that at that statement. Mm, that's fair. Right. So I'll it's like, a, mm-hmm. like as an example, you're not going to go a first day in the gym and manifest the 270, 75 pound bench press. You're not going to go bench with intention and suddenly, Oh my God, it's so much heavy. It's so much, it would move so much easier today. <laughs> Everything felt light. Like, you have yeah. you're you're building a wall brick by brick or a building brick by brick or a foundation brick by brick however you want to look at the analogy mm-hmm. and you have to have that like so i'm strong and like right i'm strong on a whiteboard and a post it like hey this is why i'm strong this is why i'm smart this is yeah. why i'm pretty and having that data that feedback and the actuality of it like is is i think where people have the big miss and it's why you see people they'll be great for 90 days and they fall off they'll be great for two weeks and they'll fall off they'll be great for six months and they'll fall off and yeah i really like what you said about like parts of you have to die because i think that's absolutely true like you know parts of you really do have to die and there's like a grieving process to that oh 100 yeah you have to grieve the person that you once were um, but i'll celebrate the new person you are becoming um yeah, something people really don't talk a lot about. We do. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really. I never really exercised much between the ages of uh, when I graduated when I was eighteen, about eighteen to twenty twenty five. I didn't really exercise much. Uh, I drank a lot. I worked in retail. 
I was fairly miserable. Like it's safe to say the person that I was at 23, 24, 25, 19, 20, 21, that person's dead. Mm. He's got, I beat the shit out of him. Like I, I like, and part of it, like you literally go through and you just beat it out of yourself. Like it just doesn't align with like the, the things that you, that you do. And we talked about the last episode, finding your passion, your purpose. And like, once you find it, there are certainly things that are going to detract from your purpose. Like me being a personal trainer, someone who's an endurance runner, someone who strength trains uh, all the time, someone who's up early. Like if I was still drinking at the rate that I was from age, you know, 20 to 25, it would be impossible for me to do my job. Mm. You know what I mean? So like that part of me has to die. And like, granted, here I am sitting here doing a podcast with you while drinking an old fashioned <laughs> shout out to bourbon. But like, I couldn't do that at, at the frequency that I did in my youth. And like that, that's the part of me that had to die. And like, sure, mm -hmm. I can celebrate on a holiday. I can have a drink here and there. Like those things are fine. And for those of you listening out there, I'm not demonizing drinking at all. Like for the most part, if I have a client that's like, oh, I have a glass of wine or here too, you know, every night, like that's, I don't even touch it. Honestly, I just let that slide and we work on other stuff. Mm. Like same. Yeah. And like, but like parts of you have to die and you have to, you have to mourn that part. And like, yeah, I used to eat junk food all the time. I used to drink regular Coca-Cola all the time, mm. regular Pepsi all the time. I, and like those things have to go away and you have to become this this new version of yourself. And sometimes you're going to creep back, like you're going to fall back in your old patterns. Like if you have a death in the family, you're really sad or you, you lose out on something big. You have that emotional component and it's like you, you'll revert for a couple of days for sure. But you have, yeah, like the, the understanding that you are now someone different, like doesn't seem to tr translate as well in like the message that like we give the community as a as a when I say we, I mean like the, the training community itself or the wellness community. Let's just use that. I would say I, I am still chasing that regardless of what I've accomplished in the past 10 years in the nutrition and fitness space, I feel like I'm still chasing being that like super fit, like super healthy, eating clean kind of a person all the time. Coming from someone who, if I reflect actually back on my diet, like I am, you know, I eat very well, you know, I exercise regularly and all those things. Like I, I'm a fairly fit individual and yet I'm still chasing being that person. Like I probably, part of me always feels still like that overweight girl, you know, that ate like shit all the time. And it's like the, in that depressed state, like a part of me, like, like that's like, I feel like I revert easily back to being that person. I'm constantly in fear of that person. And that's a constantly my driving force too. So that maybe that person never like fully died in me. And, you know, but at the same time, like I use that as my motivation to keep going and keep pushing because I don't want to be that person again. Yeah. Yeah. For me and my take on it is slightly different. Uh, but in the same realm, uh, I look at it as I'm in competition with that version of myself. So what I could do at 20, I have to beat that now. So like now, and I've said it before, I'm stronger, I'm faster, I'm bigger, I'm healthier, I'm more athletic at 34 than I was at 21. Mm. I think the the big difference, the one difference is probably going to be vertical jump height and depth perception. That's one thing that's that I've shout out to uh, what we were talking about earlier, as far as like, oh, we're getting old and things change, like. My depth perception has been a little screwy. Granted, I'm, I'm relatively blind anyway, but it's been a little off lately more than I'm used to. But I look at it as like how much I've, I left so much on the table in my youth 
and granted i have to i have to work harder now right so i have to hit the i have to hit the iron that much harder than i did when i was younger because i don't have i don't have the bonus multipliers of being springy not being injured not having chronic posture issues with for, you know that come from my habits and stuff like that so i'm constantly trying to one up that that previous version of myself and you look at and this is a the very cliche one get 1% better every day mm. But it's that same thing and just for forcing yourself through that. And like the old person had habits X, Y, Z. I now have habits X, Y, Z. And sometimes I, I, like, I might like the old habit Z, but now it's X, Y, Z and Z too. And you know what I mean? And there's this new direction and this new path. But like when you find your purpose and that's why it's so important. That's why I was, we talked about it last time. When you have your purpose, you have to understand that the part of you that you were supposed to kill to become this new part that you wanted will detract from your purpose. Yeah. You know what else I think is like another interesting challenge that people face as they grow up is that like what being physically active looks like as a kid is so different to what being physically active looks like as an adult. Like it doesn't translate actually. Like as a kid, you know, you're in sports, you're doing activities, right? But like, you know, you're not going to the gym as a kid unless you're like you're 14 and older. <laughs> but before then, you're not going to the gym or anything. So like the habits that you would need as an adult to be physically active active you really don't develop those habits until you're older well also when it, when you're young you can you can accept more variability yeah so as you get older and so your skeleton obviously if you look at the skeleton of anyone under the age of 18 most people are they're very bendy mm. like they you can they can contour they especially go all the way down to like two years old a two-year-old usually has the most perfect squat of all time they're usually really flexible. That's why when you train teens and adolescents, like the hardest thing is teaching them to use their core because their core hasn't really functioned in the way that it needs to because they're wrestling, they're running around, they're all over the place. So they haven't like, they haven't formed, but also, right. So they can appreciate more variability, right? So just like when you look at a, a car accidents, when the driver's drunk, the driver's, the drunk driver's usually not the one that gets injured it's the other person because the other person sees it anticipates and stiffens up and that's where the brakes happen whereas the drunk driver is more so very loose very fluid and obviously they're intoxicated and shouldn't be driving but they can accept the change the instant change in variability much faster and when you just get athletic populations and not athletic populations that's really what it's about and athletic people i can put you down and i can set up a bunch of parameters and move forward and back forward and back whereas an athlete at any level is you're, you're moving left, right, diagonal, back up, down, jumping. Now you got to hit the ground. Now you're on the ground, stuff like that. And like, you can, you can receive that so much more. Whereas when you're older, you've had like the construct of expectation. So you're less adaptable to variability in your environment. Yeah. Yeah. That's very fair. Very, very fair. Um, I kind of see that even that in my own little 10 week old kid, I mean, yeah. this thing is like a noodle. Yeah. You, you have them now. And like, like imagine if you just sat your baby in the seated position, like for the rest of his life, like all the time, nine to five, like he'd get super stiff, super young. But if you just let yeah. him do his thing as they explore and they go around and they're, you know, running left, running right, they have all this energy, they, they're more fluid to accept the changes in variability. And obviously certain people keep that, like you look at professional athletes, they'll keep that variability because they just stay in that environment all the time. Whereas a lot of us will go and we'll, stagnate and we'll slow the molecules down and we don't move as fast and now we're trying to be safer and we anticipate things which makes us stiff and rigid and we're stuck in positions and 
yeah. numerous that's different reasons, but that's why it's important to stretch folks. Do your yoga, do your post exercise stretching. <laughs> it does matter as you get older. Yeah, sneeze. <laughs> I could tell. <laughs> you just hate like when, like when you get like a sneeze stuck, right? And like you like you're making all the faces, but nothing's happening. People think you're so weird. Yeah, <laughs> I hate when I have to sneeze. There's nothing worse than having to sneeze, and you can't get it out. And it's just it it just sits there with you. Like sometimes you sneeze, and you don't expect, it and you just let it rip, and it's fine. But other like when it just sits there and you're like, oh, and it's like in your face. Yeah, Whew. totally. That's awful. All right. So today's topic to kind of go into some meat uh, was obviously the aforementioned, but I kind of want us to look at some eating disorders. It hasn't been something that we've touched on. So mm -hmm. as a nutrition coach, for those of you that don't know, if you have a nutrition coach or a personal trainer, they can't diagnose you with an eating disorder. They're not supposed to work with you. If you have an eating disorder, they're not supposed to give you advice and treatment and things of that sort. Dietitians can. And our guest today, Sandra, has all the expertise on that. So when we look at eating disorders, how big of a problem is this that faces people? You know, it it also depends on what kind of demographic you're working with. So the percentage of like who it affects in the population really depends on like who you're working with. So it's like certain athletes within specific sports, like figure skating, gymnastics, bodybuilding, especially too, right? There's like different, like they have a higher percentage of having an eating disorder versus, um, you know, general population. Um, it also depends on male or female. There's actually differences in that too. So women have a higher propensity of having like an eating disorder than men, for instance, do too. So um, it's very like population driven. Um, so like anorexia is approximately like 1% found in female, less than 0.5% in men um, within a lifetime. Um, so it doesn't seem like that much, but I'm sure like if you just, if you just, you know, ask a bunch of women, right? Like had they ever, you know, experienced anything close to anorexia or bulimia or anything like that in their lifetime? Um, I would venture to say a lot, lot of people or even binge eating disorder, I would venture to say a lot of people have have had some experiences like that, but they just might have not had the severe version of it um, to be classified under anorexia, if that makes sense. Yeah. So what like, so looking at like what you have as the top four or five eating disorders you have anorexia mm -hmm. you have bulimia you have yeah. binge eating and you have restrictive eating yeah so what are like the key differences in those okay so um i'll kick things off with like anorexia anorexia is basically the um is like significantly low body weight it's the missing of calories right it's the severe under eating um that happens um the interesting part about anorexia which actually makes it different and harder to treat than some of the other conditions is that there's a certain like reward system that your body has by eating less calories or by or even by over exercising right so anorexia can also be achieved by over exercising so it's basically like just a severe caloric drop to um to your uh, to your maintenance calories that you need um but like your body like gets like a dopamine hit from achieving under eating or from achieving over exercising and achieving that caloric that severe caloric deficit which i find super interesting because when you're treating anorexia now you also got to treat that reward system too um you know what else can you do for that person to make them feel accomplished 
Um, with bulimia, it's um, once uh, once a week for three months, uh, basically vomiting back up your food. And there's a more polite way of putting it, but we're just not going to be polite today. Um, Question. Yeah. Is that every meal? No. No, it is not. It's, as I said, like it's classified as recurrent episodes of binge eating at least once a week for three months and then um, regurgitating your food again. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. Um, binge eating also too, there's like different like forms of it. There's like mild, moderate, severe, right? So all of these have a mild, moderate, severe, and extreme circumstance um, a classification in there. We're not going to go over every single one of them. We'll be here forever. But binge eating, um, even the mildest form is one to three times um, per week over a certain period of time. I believe it's like three months as well. And then we have what's called like disordered eating or um, restricted food intake disorder. Those are a little bit two different categories, but we're just going to kind of morph them a little bit into one for it's the sake of today's conversation. Um, but it's basically like, you know, avoiding certain foods for no real purpose. It's, um, in, it's also the hyper focus on um, certain foods. Um, it's also like, like the lack of interest in eating or, or food or creating a lack of interest in eating or food within your head, um, the avoidance of certain sensory characteristics of food. So um, it's a kind of a more of a broader topic of it, but also it, what it does is it, um, it causes for, for significant weight loss. It can also cause significant nutrient deficiencies. Um, and um, it can even like interfere with your psycho, with your psychosocial functioning. Um, and also you might even be in the need of a, assisted assisted feeding such as tube feeding is that something so, that happens often with tube feeding with, with anorexic populations so like if you are severely um you know anorexic or severely um yes yeah, so that can't happen so if you get if you get taken to the hospital for instance right it's all very controlled so like as a dietitian, I find um, dealing with someone with severe eating disorders, like I usually say, I'd love to help you, but I have someone better for you. So I refer them out to other people just because there's so many details to it. And it's such a, um, it's, it's a more, it's way more complex than it seems to be. Um, so I like to refer people out to it unless it's more in the mild state. If it's mild, I can help, right? But if it gets more moderate plus, um, I like to um, refer it out. But yeah, there is a place for two feeding in all of this. Yeah. So why do you think this seems to appear more in men, or excuse me, women than men? I think women, like I, I think women, especially, um, they have like the severe desire to be a certain body shape. Um, I think there's much more pressure around women to look a certain way than there is for women. I mean, for men, excuse me. Um, so I think like, you know, especially like if you're a nineties baby, right? Like models back then were itty bitty. Now we have more of like that body positivity movement going on. So it's not as extreme, but especially, you know, when I was a teenager, like you wanted to be a little stick. Like that was the goal, flat stomach. Like all of us women, we want a flat stomach, right? Like that's everyone's goal. Men have that too, but it's not as severe. Yeah. You don't have to have an eating disorder to get a flat stomach though. You can be, you can be about that life and still have a flat stomach or, you know what I mean? And still have a flat stomach or something like that. But I see what you're saying though. It's like the stick figure says so somewhere along the, somewhere along the lines or along the, the road, 
someone was like, oh my God, this is so fucking hot. And like, this is a stick figure and she looks amazing and I can see her collarbone and oh my God. And like, I don't know what the fuck happened. If you look like I could pick you up over my head and snap you over my knee, I got nothing for you. Like you need to, you need a cheeseburger. You need something like that. Yeah. I think what men would like to see of women is different than what a woman would like to see of a woman. If that makes sense. I think our per our society has made clowns popular and that's partly where this comes from, like this comparison to it, but that's only a factor in it. I think when you look at the data between there's two other big reasons between why you see it more in women than you see it more in men, women are more emotionally intelligent. So for us to get data, we have to have data points. Women being more emotionally intelligent are more likely to see, seek help in oh, this situation, especially with when you look at anorexia and a lot of eating disorders, a lot of it is it's, it does fall under mental disorder. Women are more likely to see therapists. Women are more likely to get help when they're experiencing hard times. They're more likely to talk to someone. They're more likely to open up, whereas men are not. I think that's one of the reasons for the disparity between it. You also have, there's the, like this stigma with men where like you can't seek mental help, you can't keep seek guidance, you can't be, you can't have like emotion, you can't have this, that, and the third, and you just have to just compartmentalize everything in your nice little box. And you're soft if you have, you know, these expressions of joy, sadness, depression, anything like that. So that lack of seeking help, I think, goes, you know, with a lot of it is undiagnosed. I know tons of people that binge eat. I fucking binge eat. I've been there. Yeah, I binge eat all the time. I don't give, honestly, like, I do not care because I'll binge work out too. But I won't, it won't be like the counterbalance to it. Like, I'll never work out like, oh my God, I ate this Y, X, Y, Z, and now I need to work out. Like, I'll just, I know I have a healthy lifestyle and I can afford to binge eat, you know, here and there. Sometimes it'll get a little out of control, but. Yeah, I, I think, I think it also has to do like, what well, you hit the nail on the, uh, you hit the, whatever the nail on the head is, is that like, what is your psychological state in this, in association to a lot of this, right? Like, you know, what are you trying to achieve by being like that? Like, if you don't have a, if you don't, if you don't have a problem binge eating, right, then that's, you're probably, you don't have a binge eating disorder, but some people, they literally cannot stop themselves. Um, I have encountered people that literally in the middle of the night will go to Walmart to buy more food of whatever they're binging on because they ran out of it at home. Um, and that's just a like way another beast to deal with. Right. I've also dealt with some uh, mainly teenagers that are ill more in the anorexia bulimia space. And, you know, like like they are just psychologically like they have other things going on that that's causing for them to be this way or to to eat that way um, and behave that way. And there's only so much you can do as a dietitian before you have to outsource that to a therapist. And if there's no therapist working with that, like, you know, I'm out of my scope of practice then too. So it's a very like eating disorders are very, very touchy. And they're very, very hard to deal with, in my opinion, like I would say, you really do need to work with a specialized dietitian when you're when you're when you're talking about eating disorders and quite frankly i might even be speaking out of you know i might be you know not, not even 100 correct with some of the things that i'm stating just because of how complex these disorders are yeah you definitely i would look at it as having a team yeah you need a team yeah so you you should definitely have a, a therapist psychiatrist one of the one of the two if not both a dietitian 
and you should have a physical tra- a physical personal trainer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the things that you see obviously is are like the big concerns, right? So uh, you have anorexia, bulimia, a lot of eating disorders. They affect folks between in their like late teens to early early adulthood. Some of it is from neglect, from childhood trauma, things that go unresolved, or the way that you were raised. Let's say you were raised by someone who was real thin. Chances are they had some kind of pattern of deceiving orders or disordered eating that's going to transfer down to the offspring, to the child. And they'll kind of carry that with them, or they have that feeling that they're never good enough because, you know, maybe they were born with a different body structure than what we talked about the aforementioned back in the day, real thin, thin style. Yeah. Yeah. I think a big thing about it too, like self-esteem is a huge thing when, when dealing with this, with um, eating disorders, because you probably went down this, if you have an eating disorder, you probably went down this road because of some sort of psychological reason likely linked to yourself, to your self-esteem, but then your self-esteem is not really helpful in helping you get out of it necessarily, because there's a lot of shame around having issues with food. Right. So um, especially um, binge eating disorder, um, like there is a lot of shame around that. Believe me, there's a lot of shame around doing those activities, right? And then feeling like you can't control yourself. Um, and I can speak to myself. So when I was bodybuilding and whenever I stopped, I had a big issue with binge eating disorder. Like I was just so ravenous all the time. I kid you not, I took a Costco size of the sweet and salty popcorn and I ate the whole bag. Yes. I ate the whole bag and then I was so bloated and afterwards I felt awful and I remember it being at like a dietitian and like not being able to help myself. I'm like, how do I get out of this? Like I can't stop. Thankfully just like naturally just stopped somehow. Like, um, yeah, just naturally just like went away, um, on its own, but it was a really, really hard time because I went from being like this, like perfectly in shape person, in my opinion, and to other people's opinion to all of a sudden like gaining weight. And, um, I could not help myself. I literally couldn't. Yeah. The, the funny thing about binges, like you just described is they're like, Oh my God, like this is, this is the worst thing. Just, just let it rip. And that, that's, that's how I've handled things. In, in that realm, like when I go through something that's like a compulsive behavior that has addictive, like I will just ride that thing into the ground. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like that's kind of like ended up happening for me too. Um, but I think there's like a, there's like a time difference to it, right? Like for yours, if yours resolved itself within a couple of months, um, similar with me, it resolved itself within a couple of months. That's probably like, like you're probably okay. Right. Um, but for some people it goes on for years, like they battle with this for years and years and years. And that's a completely different thing to deal with then. Like if you're three years later, still doing it, um, you know, we got, we got to look at that. So think of it this way, right? We just talked earlier about the mental aspect of the wellness journey and you have your bag of popcorn and you eat the whole thing. And it's like, wow, it's Costco size. It's gigantic. This is bad. This is bad. This is bad. Like that's going to transfer over into your psyche and your self-esteem. Like I'm a bad person. I'm a bad person. This is negative. This is negative. This is negative. That's going to keep like that cascading effect. I'm fortunate in that. Like I, I mean, I could go binge tonight and you know, we're back at it tomorrow, back to normal. It, it, it doesn't stick around very long, but I don't have that relationship where I see food as good or bad. Like food is just food and there are better choices and there are choices that are just, you know, a little tastier that I probably shouldn't have so often. But like, that's one of the dangers with when you look at 
So you, someone might not have a, diagno, a, a diagnosis as far as an eating disorder or the mental health aspect of it, but uh, or the mental condition of it. But when you look at like, oh, I just ate a whole pint of ice cream. This is awful. And then you're in this this like cycle where it's like bad, 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 bad. And you have this black cloud following you around and it's just going to like add on to it where if it's like, it's like, yeah, whatever. It's just yummy. It's just ice cream that tastes good and it's fine. And like, it obviously like food is addicting and things of that nature. And a lot of, when you look at like the bodybuilding space that you just referenced, one of the things we know from just cognitively, whatever you restrict is what you're going to crave. So if you're prepping mm -hmm. for a show, right, there's a build phase, there's a cut phase. There's like this long periods of time where you can't have any of this stuff. Yeah. And then, and then when you have it, it's like, it's like crack to your, to your senses and literally, yeah, you just go for it. And that's one of the things, and it create, it can create this depending what your relationship of food going into it is like food is good. Food is bad. This is good. This is bad. It's just food. It's just stuff. And you have stuff that's made better than other stuff. And yeah. if you, if you can get to that point, you can kind of break that cycle a little bit. Um, but a yeah, really interesting person to note within this space is Stephanie Buttermore. If you're not familiar with her, check her out on YouTube. I've been following her for a number of years from before she started her new food journey, which I'll explain here in a sec. Um, but she basically was a bodybuilder um, for a couple of years. Um, and then she had this like insatiable hunger. Like she used to make t-shirts that said always hungry. Um, and she was like what, what people would consider to be like the perfect fitness, female physique and all of that. Right. Um, and then she felt like, you know, she couldn't get her hunger under control. She tried different things. And then she decided to what she describes to be of going all in. And it's basically for the next for the following two years, she just ate whatever she wanted, however much she wanted um, and just kind of like let her hunger um, and her metabolism kind of fall but, you know, kind of find its points, um, its maintenance point again on its own. Um, and it took her two years to kind of stabilize her weight again and to get her hunger back under control and all of that. But it's super fascinating to see her journey because she did gain a lot of weight. Um, I mean, I think at one point she had like 4,000 calories a couple days in a row, like, you know, very easily, you know, eating a, like a, you know, dozen donuts, stuff like that. Um, mm. but then eventually like eventually self-regulated itself again. And now she's like, has like a really good outlook again on food. And yeah, her body isn't like what it used to be. This like real thin, um, muscular person, but you know, she's like, she has a normal like physique now, you know, but still looks muscular because she still works out and all of that. Um, and she was also someone that, you know, basically had to, had to, had to kind of like just surrender her body, you know, to, to the process and she kind of, she came back out on top again afterwards. Um, but sometimes like when we, I feel like when we try too hard to control our food intake all the time, like at some point your, you know, your, your body's going to take over. Yeah. And you have to surrender. We, I think too often, especially if you look at the, the status of the wellness community right now, there's too often we have all these rules. Mm. Like the rules are, the rule is carbs are bad for you. I'm here to tell you that's fucking bullshit. If you looked at my diet, you'd be like, what the fuck? Carbs are not bad for you. Carbs are carbs. Yeah. Your lifestyle can be good or it can be bad. And it can be affected by what's in, you know, your diet and stuff like that. We have, we have all these rules and like, we think we're like in control and we strive for this control as opposed to just like lean into like what feels like right. And hunger is a sensation that like triggers you usually like you need some kind of sustenance. 
Yeah. And it's kind of like what I was saying, like, just if, if I have a craving for something, just let it rip. Like, you know, like I've eaten a pack of Oreos in one shot before, and then I'm hungry two hours later. And the next meal is chicken, rice, broccoli, turkey, burgers, rice, broccoli, stuff like that. And we, we go so hard. We try so hard to restrict and like, this can't be good because that's great. And this is bad and this is good. And I would never do that. And this, and there, there, there are plenty of people who are perfectly healthy, who have awful behaviors and awful habits and the, the vice versa. There are people who have, who look like they're the picture of health and they have these terrible habits and you kind of have to find like this equilibrium that kind of works for you. Yeah. To, to be honest. And when the people go so hard, like this is bad for you and little like zebra cakes, which is my favorite snack, by the way, shout out to zebra cakes they're bad for you. And like, you can't do that. And the more that you say this is bad, like, you can't have it. You can't have it. You can't have it. Like your brain is just going to want, 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 want. And you're actually programming yourself to think about that thing all the time, which is one of the, one of the issues with it. Like if I'm, I, I've said this like seven times on this podcast right now, and I'll say it again. I want you to not think of a giraffe wearing jeans. Right yeah. now we're all, we're all thinking of it in the next follow-up question. Not only are we thinking about the giraffe wearing jeans, we're now thinking we're not, I know, cause I know I am, I'm wondering if the jeans are on the front legs or the back legs, or how does this work? Is this, a, <laughs> is this a four leg pair of jeans? And we've created this as opposed to, yeah, there's, there's plenty of animals on the planet. Just to make sure you don't kill any of them. Right. You're not thinking of a giraffe at all. Or you're not thinking of anything like, you know what I mean? And we, we focus on the things that are bad and instead of just the, the, the things that, might not help us get to where we want to be like they're just there and we're going to encounter them mm. for and like you just have to accept that and you have to work around it like you can have an awful diet and outwork it anyone who tells you that you cannot work an out outwork a bad diet is lying to you by the way you can definitely do it you just might die from energy expenditure but or, ex <laughs> or exhaustion but you could definitely do it you can outwork a pretty bad diet yeah that's true you know I what i mean and yeah no go go, go ahead I was gonna say, like, I think like we get ourselves into trouble when we start tying our self-worth to food and start tying our emotions to food. Um, and there's different degrees of all of that. I think like having an eating disorder is obviously on the opposite end of the spectrum to that. Um, and I also think like we need to stop like looking at it with like such shame or guilt and all of that, and just also being okay with accepting help. Um, I know I have an issue and I'm learning a lot about accepting help. Right. But I think we all just need to learn that it's okay to accept help around these things and to, you know, seek help and guidance as well. Yeah. So. You know what I found fascinating looking into eating disorders? What? What do you think is the mortality rate for people with eating disorders? I think it's pretty high. As far as like, and what I mean by that is they die from the eating disorder. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, it's like, I think it's like fairly, it's like fairly high, I would say. I don't know the number though. I couldn't give you a percentage. So of any mental illness, eating disorders have the highest mortality rate. 10% mm. of the population that has anorexia, right? That's their mortality rate. 10% of them will die. 4% of them for bulimia. Within that mortality rate, what do you think the leading cause of death is? within that um probably like nutrient deficiency right so you would think that it becomes frailty organ failure malnutrition 
you are underweight, you, f you fall down and you break something and then you can't recover from that. Kind of like what you see with elderly populations. It's actually suicide for mm. both of them. I almost said suicide. Yeah. yeah. Cause you're like, you're like in this hell and you can't get out. Yeah. Anorexia is definitely the most dangerous one because your system just starts shutting down so much um, from the lack of calories. And it's really like compensating for it. Um, but also to that reward system, like I talked about is so tied to it as well. Um, anorexia is definitely the hardest one I think to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can go through, I mean, I'll just quickly touch on the symptoms a little bit, what happens since we're kind of touching on this. Like if you have anorexia, like you'll have things like dry hair, um, brittle hair, confusion, dizziness, um, orthostasis, muscle wasting, osteoporosis, dry skin, edema, hypothermia, um, growth retardation, stool retention, um, and I mean, there's, I mean, the list goes on and on. Okay. Um, but for bulimia, there's other things that are more oral, like enamel erosion is a big deal. Um, saliva, salivary gland enlargement, um, is another big one too. Esophagitis. So inflammation within the esophagus, um, calluses on your hands, like biochemical changes, like low potassium, um, diarrhea and edema. So I find that like, so interesting how you have like different symptoms, to the different eating disorders as well. So um, if you're a health professional, um, sometimes like by looking at a person, you can sometimes see some of these, um, some of these symptoms and you may suspect someone having an eating disorder. I think also too, like, you know, if you're working at a gym or within the physical space, you often see like, it's pretty easy to spot anorexia in there. Yeah, it's wild when you can see it and you can tell and like the body style. Yeah. Um, like even like within within like a gym, um, you know, I find it like fascinating how like you can actually spot someone with an eating disorder, especially anorexia. You can spot that one fairly well, too. Like everyone has seen if you work in a gym, you've, you have seen someone with anorexia or struggling with anorexia. They are working out. And it's always becomes that thing where it's like as a fitness professional, like, can you do anything? Can you intervene? Um, I don't know. It's always it's always an in, interesting uh, interesting situation for a fitness professional to be in. Yeah. You can generally tell someone with bulimia as well. If you, if you speak to them, if you speak to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anorexia is obviously much more physically apparent. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, uh, a relative of mine had an eating disorder. Uh, she was bulimic and you could tell hmm. just from, have a couple of conversations with her. You, it was immediate. You could, you could just see it. So, yeah, you can also tell by their teeth a lot too. Oh, that's what I'm referring to. Oh, okay. Yeah. Obviously throwing up the stomach acid is coming up and it's, it'll erode your teeth. Your teeth will turn yellow. It'll basically kill them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sad. It's very, very sad. It's actually a really interesting show right now on Apple TV. It's called, Oh, what's it called right now? Hold on look it up real quick it basically is about this woman who is um she she starts doing fitness videos um but she's battling bulimia um in the show let me just see what it's called it's very interesting um what is it called 
Mm-hmm. Oh, it's called physical. Mm. Have you seen it? No. I found the whole eating disorder aspect of it a little bit disturbing in the beginning uh, because it's like, I mean, it's very well done. That's why it's disturbing, right? It's very, very well done. Um, but yeah, very, very interesting. I highly recommend the show. I don't want to spoil it further. I have to check it out. Yeah. But, I thought you were going to say physical 100 for a second and I was on Netflix and I was like, what? No, but that is a good show too. It just drags on and on and on. That is, on. I I can appreciate after Squid Game, I can appreciate Netflix looking more international for these shows. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar, Physical 100 is a game show, almost Squid Game-like competition with athletes. These can be professional, Olympic, just generic, influencers, personal trainers, powerlifters, any kind of competitive like fitness people in Korea. And they put them through these games. This is the worst edited show of all time. <laughs> yes. It starts at a, it starts at a hundred and there's challenge one challenge one goes from full hundred to 50 people and you watch every three minute elimination and the, they needed to skim through that. I just needed a highlight tape. I didn't need to watch two hours of that stuff. After you get to that part, it's not too bad. It's actually pretty interesting, but yeah, that is the worst edited show of all time. Great idea though. Yeah, I mean, I made the mistake of like, we kind of caught up and then we were waiting like week by week to watch each episode and that was the worst. So like, yep, exactly. Like, like now we're just waiting for them to bunch up and then we're just going to fast forward through the different parts. Yeah, I, I finished it. Oh, it's already over? Yeah, yeah, it, it was oh. over last, it was over, I think a couple months ago. As soon as I realized that it was going to be episodic like that, I was like, I watched the first one. And then I just didn't touch it again. And I watched season four of you shout out to Joe and yeah. And then I went back to it once it was all complete so I can binge it, which is the competitive net competitive advantage of streaming platforms. Yeah. I mean, in this case, binging physical 100 means like fast forwarding a good chunk of it. Oh, I, I, a good 30% of it. I fast forwarded through it and I just watched it in fast motion. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, did you read I got, fast? <laughs> I got the same experience. I thought some of the sub the the audio dubbing was a little interesting. Some of the choices where it's like, oh, we just been reading. I watched it with English, so I didn't have to read, so I could focus on. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like that ruined a little bit of like the the experience for me. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I will. I'm going to see what, what it's like, the dubbing. Um, we've just been reading, which has kind of been challenging to watch and read at the same time. Yeah, you can switch it over in the settings. Mm. Um, I think it, it. I think actually in that show, it gives you the option to, to do it. So at the beginning of it, it says the subtitles, but then it switches where you can just hear people talking. Yeah. But they didn't really like do a great job of lining up like what this part, which you would think this person sounds like and... Mm. the in, the inflection is way off yeah well it'll probably help me though and like i can actually like appreciate like watch the actual competitions versus <laughs> being yeah. like wait what just happened so busy reading <laughs> the f- the first one is awful to yeah. watch it, but because it takes like three episodes and then the rest of them are fine yeah they, they don't okay, take cool. as long but yeah it's uh very needs some editing there they that it's like eight episodes it could have been four 
I'm I'm looking forward to watching it then. I didn't realize it was there. All the episodes were out yet. Yeah, it's been a great episode. Catching up, talking about whether it's a mental or physical game. When you look at wellness, we started to scratch the surface and eating disorders, what they are, what you can look for, why they're important to kind of see and diagnose. I've had a good time. We're going to kind of wrap up here. Yeah, it's been really interesting. It's been a really interesting episode. We were like a little bit, I don't know, darting around a little bit, but overall, I think we've got some good content for you guys. Yeah, for sure. So bye guys. <laughs>